0: upon a portion of the gospel that is relevant, most relevant today being Easter. If you recall, it was uh, that word last week in which some of the religious leaders approached uh, Jesus and accused him of uh, performing great signs and wonders, particularly liberating a demonically possessed person uh, by the power of not the Holy Spirit, but by the power of Satan himself. And Jesus warned them that blasphemy or speaking against the Son of Man can be forgiven, but speaking against the Holy Spirit, blaspheming the Holy Spirit, cannot be forgiven. That they were walking on thin ice, as it were, and they should seriously consider uh, their next few words or remarks on how they would try to evaluate Jesus' ministry. Well, that dialogue continues where we pick up today. In Matthew 12, 38, we find... Uh, Jesus speaking uh, to the Pharisees again and they approach him to look particularly for an answer to their question that they would say well then how should we evaluate you because what they're doing is trying to make sense of Jesus and his ministry as the Messiah the Savior of the world and here we drop into that conversation we drop in this morning to learn who is Jesus Christ who is this man Matthew 12 38 it says Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. And but he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. And here is Jesus' description of his position, his ministry, that he would sum it by saying, I am greater. I am doing something more. And if those who saw the lesser light, those who saw the glimmer of the shine coming over the mountain, were awestruck by it, How guilty are you who cannot see when it is as plain as the noonday? See, we are gathered here today because Jesus of Nazareth has risen from the grave, he was tried and condemned as a blasphemer. He was swiftly moved along to Pontius Pilate and charged with a capital offense worthy of death for insurrection. He was nailed to a cross, pierced through the hands and feet. And as he was gasping, he said, it was finished. Finished, it was finished. They pierced his side, water and blood came out a symbol for the cleansing of the nations. And he offered up the last of his breath. And when it was finished, he died in the grave on Saturday. He didn't move a muscle. He had a perfect Sabbath rest. And he sanctified the Sabbath for you and I. He sanctified death for you and I. He sanctified the grave, the tomb, for you and I. He made it holy. He made it clean. He made it good. He made it something to even look forward to. Because it is only the door that leads to everlasting life in his glorious kingdom. He says here, notice there is something, there is something greater, something greater. Not even just a personal reference to himself, saying there is someone greater, which is true but something greater that Jesus is bringing. He is not just bringing wisdom from Solomon. He is not just bringing a preaching from Jonah. He is bringing in a new heavens and a new earth, a new age, a new kingdom. Jonah was supposed to go to a city named Nineveh. And God, at the very end, one of the last verses of the book of Jonah, it's only four chapters, and God says, shouldn't I have concern for the cattle and the livestock? And for the longest time, that always baffled me. Why would God be so concerned for the cattle and the livestock of an ancient city of Assyria in Nineveh, in northern Iraq? Well, it's because he's God. He made them. And he's not just saving individual people. He's renewing the whole world. Plates of grass and clouds and cows. He is doing something greater than ever before. And Jesus, aware of his own ministry and his purpose, toward the third day they came to find him as the sun was rising. And an angel met them and said, Why do you seek the living among the dead? For he is risen. This was his great sign. They came to him for a sign, and he pointed them to this. If you ever have any sign, any miracle, anything in your life to say, If God would just show me himself... I think we've all been there. I'm sure you could all give your own stories of times of being in the lowest of the lows. Times when the pain is twisting on the inside of your mind and you want God to reveal himself to you. You want to know that you are in your father's world and he cares for you. And if there was anything, I mean... All the things he could give you and the graces and the signs and the impressions upon your mind, even to the good breakfast you might have tomorrow morning. These are all graces upon your life. But if he were to never give you any of them, if he were to turn them all away again, there would always still be one more thing that would never go. This reality that Jesus, the Son of Man, would be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The sign of Jonah. When I'm driving to a place... And I don't know where I'm going. I we mentioned this before in the sunrise service. And then we had breakfast after. And everyone I sat with to have breakfast said, you're preaching the truth. And I think maybe it is. We'll see here. When Heather and I are in the car, uh, and I'm driving, and we don't know where we're going, I will get lost if we do not use my phone for the GPS. It's just a guarantee. And Heather's looking right now. She's like, what are you going to say next? <laughs> see, if... If we use Heather's phone, I'm going to get lost because, see, she'll put it on her phone and she'll sit there with her phone in her hand while I'm driving on the other seat. That's usually how we drive in two separate seats. And I'm doing my thing. My thing, which mainly means looking for the the dashes and the white lines and stay between them and try not to drool on myself. I don't think about much. I just drive, right? (laughs) But if I have my phone with me, it's in my hand, it's dinging, it's saying here's your turn in, a, in five miles, in, in three miles, in half a mile. Oh, okay, I won't miss that. But see, if we put the phone, the GPS on Heather's phone, then she'll kind of like maybe text a little, scroll Facebook a little, and then she'll, she'll gla- glance over and be like, oh, by the way, in about you know, five miles you're gonna have to you know, get on that, that exit. And I'll say, okay. And then, of course, I'll drive right past the exit. So we kind of have a system where we understand if we're going somewhere, I use my phone and we get there. See, but the problem with that, it's not the sign. You see, the, the, the big, the interstate signs, you know, they're just as big. They're just as green. They reflect uh, the, the light on, on, the, on the beginning of the car headlights just as well as any other time. right? The, the, the problem is not the sign. The signs are working great. The problem is I'm not looking for them. I'm Occupied, my mind is thinking of other things. I'm looking other directions, and the signs have no effect upon me. They just don't. You see what is going on between Jesus and these Pharisees? They say, They say, after he just liberated a demonic man who is deaf and blind. Then they said, You know, we would really like to see a sign from you. Do you see? There's nothing wrong with the signs. They're not looking in the right directions. This is the problem that they have. Titus one fifteen says, To the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. If you are defiled and unbelieving, then everything you see will be defiled and reasons for not believing. But they're doing something right because we know that God commanded the Jewish people to evaluate prophets that would rise up among them. In Deuteronomy 13, there's a warning that's saying, if a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and that sign or wonder comes to pass, you should evaluate it. You should look at it. In Deuteronomy 18, if he says things and they don't come to pass, he's a false prophet and you should stone him quickly. Because he will actually preach the false word to the people and turn them away to a false god. But also if they have a false sign or wonder or even a true sign or wonder and they're coming to you. In Deuteronomy 13 he says, do not listen to them if they come and say, let us follow after other gods that our ancestors have not known. Ignore such a person. Cut them out. Do not listen. This is a test. God says, this is a test. I'm sending this false prophet to you as a test to see if my love is in you. If you actually love me with all your heart and soul. And so, with that understanding, we can't really fault the scribes and Pharisees for trying to test Jesus. Who are you? Are you preaching the one true Yahweh of our fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Actually, all the prophets, many prophets who rose up through the Old Testament had to accompany with some type of sign or wonder to authenticate them. Moses, when he was first called to liberate the Israelite people from Egypt, was called to have signs because he was doubting himself. He said, first off, how do I know that this is for me, that I'm the right person? In Exodus 3, he says, who am I that I should bring up this people? God responds by saying, here will be a sign for you. If you're the right person, shortly from now, you will bring a large assembly of people out of Egypt, and you will return back to this mountain in the wilderness where he's meeting God, and you all worship me. That was the sign. So God's saying, if that doesn't happen, you're not the guy. But guess what? I'm saying you're the guy, and guess what? That's exactly what's going to happen. We're going to get those people out of Egypt. They're all going to come here to Mount Sinai and we're going to worship. The fact that that followed is proving as a sign that this prophet was true. The scribes and the Pharisees are looking for this kind of test. And so they answer him, teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. That is, some type of miraculous event that's unexplained by natural phenomena. Something that causes you to pause. We know Elijah was a prophet who actually called fire down from heaven. In Luke, the passage says, we seek to see a sign from heaven for you. Maybe, we're not sure, their suggestion was healing demoniacs, healing people who are blind or lame is one thing. We want another sign. We want something transcendent. We want something that can't be unargued with. We would like you to send fire from heaven or, or some other sign of the old that it was just big, objective miracles. And Jesus responds to them and saying, if that's what you're looking for, if these miracles which you are watching aren't good enough for you, this is the one. The one you will have, the only one I will give you, is the sign of, Of Jonah. Three days, three nights in the heart of the earth. But before he says that, he rebukes them particularly because he knows what's going on in the heart. Jesus rebukes them as an idolatrous generation. He says, An evil and idolatrous generation looks for signs. See, missing the signs is because they're looking in other places. Like if I'm driving down the street, noticing that the leaves are changing, I will miss my sign. Well, here's the example. He says for them, you are adulterous. Adulterous. That is, you are lusting after other gods. You love not Yahweh, the one true God. If you loved God, you would love me. If you love me, you would see the signs for what they are. See, they're not seeing the signs in the same way a man with an adulterous eye can't see his wife. It's a heart thing, he's saying. It's not though your wife has no signs of beauty. She does. You're just looking at other women. You're looking in the wrong place and you're not seeing it. You see how he went there? He went straight to the heart. He says, you are adulterous. Of course you're not going to see the signs. Jesus performed many signs. John structured his whole gospel over signs. Seven signs listed in the Gospel of John. He changed water to wine in John 2. He healed the official's son, and John said that was a sign in John 4. He healed a paralytic at the Bethesda pool in John 5. He fed 5,000 people in John 6. He walked on water in John 6. He healed a man blind from birth in John 9. And the last, the seventh of what would be a number of complete signs to say he is the Messiah in John 11. Jesus raises a dead man. He calls Lazarus and brings him out of the grave. The reason it doesn't work, the reason they can't see it, the reason others do not understand or comprehend the glory of Jesus Christ, even here presently into the 21st century, is because it actually isn't all about resurrection. This sign of Jonah. See, there's two Lazarus, we say, in the scriptures. There's John 11, where a man named Lazarus was dead in the cave. And Jesus commanded the stone to be rolled away, if it sounds familiar to anything. And then he said, Lazarus, come out. And he prayed and he said, Father, I pray out loud so everyone else can hear me praying to you out loud. I don't need to pray out loud. I know you always hear me. This sign is for them to know that you hear me. God, bring this man alive. Lazarus, come out. The man comes out. And then what it says is remarkable. It says that many believed in him. And some did not. It's not enough. Luke 16, Jesus tells another story of a man named Lazarus. There is a rich man who has no name and a poor man named Lazarus. They both had their own lives. The rich man had a great life. The poor man had a hard life. They both die. The poor man goes to be in that version of paradise beside Abraham's bosom. The rich man dies and goes to Hades where he is being tormented and would like a glass of water. And he calls out and he says, have mercy on me. And Abraham says, there is no way. There is a great chasm fixed between me to you and you to me that neither of us could pass. And then the rich man says, I beg you, send Lazarus back down to earth. Send him back to the living, so that he could go to my father's house and warn them not to come here. I have five brothers. And Abraham says something amazing. He says, they have the law and the prophets. He says, no, no, Father Abraham, no, If someone were to come back from the dead, then they would repent. Then they would believe. And Abraham responds and says, no, they will not. If they will not hear the law and the prophets, they will not even be convinced if someone were to raise from the dead. There is no sign given this generation this adulterous generation, except the sign of Jonah, Jesus says. Now what is the sign of Jonah? Jonah was a man who was given a word from God to go to a city far away in Nineveh, a non-Jewish city, a Gentile city, a pagan city, and to preach to them that their sins, their wickedness, has been an outcry to the God of heaven, and he should preach for them to all repent, or God will destroy their whole city. And Jonah does not want to do that. And so the series of the book of Jonah is nothing more than him running away from that one call to preach the gospel of repentance. And so he boards a ship headed for Tarshish, which is most likely the modern realm of Spain, and he would have to be going through the waters of the Mediterranean. And there's a great storm on the water in which, the, by divination of some sort, the sailors discern that he is the cause, and they throw him into the water. He says, if you throw me in, the waters will be quailed. And he does. The water's calm, and he is eaten by a fish for three days and three nights. In other words, he died just doesn't work that way unless it's a miraculous thing. The rest of the book works out with him in this heart of the sea, praying to God. Praying to God from the grave. Praying to God from Sheol. And he comes out of that. The fish releases him to the seashore. He gets up, gets the seaweed out of his hair and actually goes on to Nineveh to preach the gospel of repentance. When he got there, the king of the city immediately responded to the word. He issued a decree where everybody had to put on sackcloth and ashes and fast. And return away from all their sin. That perhaps the Lord might spare the city. That's it. That's the book. Jesus has risen from the dead. After his Sabbath of death, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the other Mary, many other women went to the tomb. An angel of the Lord descended and rolled back the stone and appeared like lightning. And his clothing was as white as snow. And he said, do not be afraid. I know you seek Jesus who was crucified. Now go quickly, he says, go quickly to the disciples and tell them to go immediately to the north, to Galilee, to the mountain where the Lord said he would meet them after his resurrection. God designated a place for them to all meet after he rose from the grave. And the angel says immediately, go tell them he is alive. To stop crying to stop weeping and get to work. And so they run and they tell the disciples. It says in Matthew 28, that they all actually did go back to Galilee. They gathered on a mountain. And when they saw him, they fell down and worshipped him. And are you ready for this part? They fell down and worshipped him, and it says, Matthew 28:17. And some doubted. The resurrection of our Lord, standing there, holding his feet in worship. Someone standing there from the sidelines, not believing it. This resurrection has no power apart from something else. For Jesus himself teaches, no one, even now, believing in a resurrection like this, could actually change anything. What is this sign of Jonah? That even when the Lord comes back, and they are right there before him, there is doubting. The reality is that what followed from Jonah was a resuscitation, that is, he died, He came back, and then he preached. And when he preached, a whole city fell on their face and truly were cut to the heart and changed their ways and worshiped the one true God, Yahweh. A whole city. That after the power of a resurrection, there was also, also the power of prophetic preaching, prophetic declaration, something happened in Jonah's speaking to them that was never seen before. A whole city became more godly than Israel. A whole city actually held the Sabbath of rest when Israel always was not holding the Sabbath. And one of the reasons they were actually taken away to out of their land. That a, a man preached to them and they changed. The reason this is so remarkable is because we know one thing. The Mediterranean Sea, where Jonah was spit up on the shore, and the place where Nineveh is in the northern part of Iraq, is many miles away. 800 plus miles away. Do you understand that Jonah's experience in that fish, his actual ability to say, I once was dead at the bottom of the ocean... At the belly of the earth, the heart of the earth, Jesus' words. And now I'm back from the dead preaching to you. Do you realize that that beginning part had no recollection for anyone in that city? You, you were dead, Jonah, and now you're alive preaching repentance? They didn't see it. They weren't part of it. They, they knew it just as much as you and I know Jesus' resurrection now. Do you see? Did you see him rise? No. Did the Pharisees he's speaking to ever see him really rise? Most likely, very much not. Jesus appeared to a few disciples. In 1 Corinthians 15, we're told that he appeared to around 500 others. Their sign is the sign of this. That after you kill the Son of God, he will gain in power. Because he, the power of his resurrection will produce the power of true Preaching. That is, he will be preached on and believed on among everybody in the world. And no one will have been there to see the power of the resurrection. It is a witness to the power for the same spirit that raised him from the dead is the same spirit that illumines the words, that makes the words sharp, that cuts to the heart, that converts the whole city of Nineveh. See, that is the sign of the son of Jonah. Jonah's ministry was that though he was resurrected and though no one saw his resurrection it mattered not because the power that came after his resurrection changed the whole city. Jesus did die, he did rise. Someone greater than Jonah is here. See, he only died to be revived. Jesus truly died under the condemnation of death, sin for us. And he rose not to never die again like Jonah, like Lazarus, resuscitated for only a few more days. Jesus rose in eternal life. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. He actually possesses life. And he can bring that power in life to words. And the glory he gets in the prophetic preaching of his resurrection is that it changes people's hearts. You and I are right now in this moment under the sound of my preaching fulfilling the sign of Jonah. You have not seen his resurrection and neither did the Ninevites. But you believe in him. You have not seen him, but you love him. You do not see him now, but you rejoice with a joy inexpressible and full of glory. This is the power of the risen lamb. And so when he gathered after that resurrection, he brought all his people together on that mountain in Galilee. And from that position... He said, go and make disciples of all the nations. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me now. Now you can preach something and it will happen. Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I command you. And the only reason any of this would ever work is he ends by saying, I am with you. I'm alive. You are not preaching a dead man. He says to them, when you go, I will bear witness to the power of that gospel. You will be preaching of Jesus who is alive, who was not once brought back to life, but who is with you now, who is in the preaching now. The spirit is alive and active, sharper than a double-edged sword, dividing both joint and marrow, piercing the very heart, bringing not only Ninevites, but Americans, Europeans, and Africans all to their knees, to the glory of Jesus, to the fame of his name, that he has risen, and he will prove to the world he has risen by everyone bowing his knee before he even comes back in his resurrected glory. The power, the spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is now present. I am with you in this commission. He gathered them to the hill. This is the sign of Jonah. The times of ignorance, God once overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in perfect righteousness. By a man he has elected. He has appointed for the task. And to this he has been given assurance by raising him from the dead. That it is the resurrection of Jesus. That he will appoint a day of judgment for all. And in light of that day of judgment. This one elected one who will judge the world now. Because of his resurrection, repent, repent, Ninevites. And the power of it all is, it actually works. People do. The foolishness, this is the foolishness of the gospel. Paul said that in Acts to the Athenians, and they were offended that he brought up the resurrection. You're just telling me a guy rose from it. That doesn't happen doesn't matter preach it because it did It has power and people repent this is his witness this is the sign of jonah the sign of the son of man let us pray father god we ask lord that this great sign you've given us in the reality of knowing that all of our sins have been washed away on the cross. the sign that was given to us. Lord, we pray that in our hearts we would hold Jesus Christ as Lord, that we would not have adulterous hearts, that is, idolatrous hearts, running and seeking and looking and side-eyeing other gods. There is no other God, and there is no other true God who could love us like this. Lord, we ask you to fill us with your Spirit. And Lord, we praise your name. Because you are alive, your promise is true. You will never leave us or forsake us, even in this age or in the age to come. Amen.